0: Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're starting in verse 8. Now, two weeks ago, I went to In-N-Out, and I went into the bathroom, and I saw this sign. And if you go to the next slide, you can see a little bit clearer. It says, it says this, Associates must wash their hands before returning to work. Associates must wash their hands. And it reminded me of what we were studying here in Timothy. It reminded me of the qualifications of elders. And, you know, we all recognize that it's important to wash your hands. It's, um, it's something that we hope that all the employees follow. And if I was at a former restaurant and I had a waiter, I would hope that he'd wash his hands as well because he's, giving me, he's bringing the food to me. It's essential that they have clean hands. It makes, it makes sense. But the sign says associates must wash hands. It doesn't say everyone. So I could go in there and say, well, it's only for associates. They only have to wash their hands. But we would all agree that everyone should wash their hands, right? It's proper hygiene. And it's, it's, um, uh, everybody would, would appreciate it if you did that. So even more so with the waiter. He's handling your food. He's bringing your drinks. He's cleaning your table off. He, his hands are touching a lot of things. You'd hope his hands are clean, so it's a must for the employees. And in a similar, similar sense, elders and deacons must wash their hands, in a figurative sense. They want to; they have they must have pure and holy and blameless lives. They must have lives that are uh, without spot. And, and it's necessary to, for them to have these qualities that we read in Timothy. That's why we're studying them. But we would, you know, we could also sit there and say, well. This is only for the deacons and the elders, you know. This is this is this is not for me. I'm not an elder, I'm not a deacon. But we would all agree that everyone should have these qualities. Everyone should be holy and blameless in their lives. So each time you see a sign like this, I want you to remember that. And also wash your hands too. <laughs> so let's look at first Timothy three, eight through thirteen. It says this: Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, and faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband, husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at today at deacons. And a deacon literally means one who is a servant, one who serves others. And it can also be, that, that word that is used here, is, is the similar words are found throughout the scripture. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of them are through the gospels. Um, and that word refers to a servant a person who waits tables, or could refer in, in the verb sense, one who serves somebody. And the word is, uh, in the Greek is diakonos, the one that is used in this passage here. And in this specific instance, in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Philippians, that word, the, uh, the translators of the Bible, they, translated, they literally translated the word into a new word, an English word we call deacon. And that's how we get that word. But it really means one who serves, a servant. That's what a deacon is. Um, So in this passage, we're going to refer to the office of a deacon. This is a position in the church. Just as there's another position, the elders we talked about the last two weeks or three weeks, we've been talking about that. Now we're going to talk about deacons. And before, before we go into talking about what deacons are and who they are, we want to look at what is a servant. What does a servant look like? What is our motivation to serve? Well, first of all, all believers are deacons. They, they all serve. They all have, um, it doesn't matter if you're young, if you're old, if you're a new believer, young uh, old believer, it doesn't matter if you're a male or female, you're all servants. We're all called to be servants of the Lord. And we are also served, called to serve one another. The next idea, um, the idea of being a servant is to serve others. It's to serve others and not yourself. It's others-oriented. Just like a good waiter will make sure that everything at your table is, is just right the way you want it, a deacon will look at the needs that you have and fulfill it. And he's not focused on uh, his own Desires. He's not focused on what food he's going to get and, and how, you know, the things that he's going to have, but he's focused on satisfying the, uh, the needs who he, who's, of whom he's serving. And you might say, well, I'm not very good at anything. I don't have any talents, so I can't really serve. You know, I'm not good at uh, mowing the lawn. I don't know how to do that. Um, I don't know how to play an instrument. I can't sing. I'm not very good helping with kids. So I, I really don't have any way of helping to serve. Well, let me tell you this, that the Lord has actually gifted you, if you're a believer here today, has gifted you with an ability to serve. He has made you ready. It says in Romans twelve six through 8 Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We each have a unique spiritual gift that God has given us, and we need to use it. And God has given us um, all different gifts. They're not the same, but they can all be used to edify the body. And let's also look at uh, John 13, 3-5, and we'll look at an example of servanthood. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. He says, Jesus, knowing the Father that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. Someone who has a towel and washes someone's feet is like a slave. That, that was a job that When you came in after a long day of walking, their feet were dirty, and you would have your servant or your slave come in and wash their feet. It was a lowly position. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is going down to that position, and he's washing their feet. And later Jesus said and teaches them his meaning, the reason why he did this. He said, so when, in verse 12, he said, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done for you, done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, you say, Well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should, you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus taught by example. And he took the lowly position to show us that we should also do likewise. If you want to be great, then, you le- then we need to learn how to be a servant of all. If Jesus stooped this low to wash the disciples' feet, there shouldn't be any service that we can do that, stoop- that's, that we are stooping too low to do. That's something that's too beneath us to do. And Jesus said, blessed are those, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So that's, let's go ahead and uh, take a look at uh, the beginning of our passage in verse th- 8. And we're going to go through three verses today. And uh, it says, likewise, deacons must be reverent. What is a deacon? So, the past three weeks, we've been studying the office of an overseer or an elder. And we looked at God's standard for church leadership. And here we come to the position of deacons. And a deacon is a unique position. Um, that has a different role than an elder does. A deacon holds a position of responsibility and of service, whereas an elder holds a position of leadership in the church and oversight. Deacons mainly deal with uh, practical issues, the practical aspects of the church. So in order to get a good idea of what a deacon is and and how this came about, let's look at the uh, first example or a prototype of a deacon. Let's look at Acts uh, chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. So if you turn there with me, um, before we read that, I wanted to give you a backdrop of the history, the history that was going on behind the scenes. First of all, in the beginning of Acts, we read about the start of the church. And the day of Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit fills the believers there, and they, um, there's, there's many who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that day, and there's about 3,000 that are added to the church. And... These new believers are now all together and they, they, it says that they held everything in common. Believers were selling their possessions, they were selling their houses and their goods and they were sharing it with the community. It was one big pool that anybody that had a need, they would meet those. They did this, um, one of the reasons was that um, the Jews, if a Jew believed in that time, they would actually be ostracized. They would uh, be, uh, they were basically denying their own faith and they would be put out and they would be abandoned from their family and have no place to stay, no food, no shelter, nothing. And so these new believers are now all together in one place, and anybody that had something would share and would, uh, would sell their things that they had. And uh, the way it would, would happen is that they would bring that money and lay it at the apostles' feet, and the apostles would distribute it to uh, those who had need. So in Acts 6, we read... Uh, an issue that, that arises. It says, Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because they were, their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, is it, not desi- it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. That word serve is actually deacon. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we, whom we may appoint over this business. But we, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they, had set, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. The issue here was that there was, there was a certain group of people, the, uh, the Hellenists, that were being neglected. Um, their, their widows were being neglected from the, the basic necessities, uh, from food and from um, the necessities of living. So there was a complaint that their group of widows were being left out. Here the apostle responds, the apostles respond, by appointing godly men to do the work. The reason they didn't want to do it wasn't because they didn't care for doing that or they didn't want to serve, but they were committed and entrusted to go and serve um, and to minister, to, sh- to, to proclaim the gospel and to teach the doctrine of the faith. So their, their duty was they wanted to uh, devote themselves to prayer and to the word. And it says that... Um, so they didn't want to get sidetracked from that. So they, they said that, let's appoint some men to handle that duty of collecting and to distribute the funds. And that's where we set the, you know, that's where we actually set the precedence of uh, deacons in the church. So notice that the apostles choose seven men to serve. So it's, it's pretty clear from this passage in, um, in Timothy, in this passage and also in Timothy 3, that the office of a deacon in the church is for men. It is in a general sense, women serve, they deacon in the church. In uh, Romans 16.1, Paul commends Phoebe, who is a servant of the Lord in the church of uh, Chandracha. I think that's how you say it. The word for servant is also deacon. She was a servant of the Lord, but she didn't have the office of a deacon. Another qualification we'll look at next week is that elders, uh, like, like elders, they must be the husband of one wife. And that wouldn't... Fit, um, for a woman to be a deacon it wouldn't make sense so let's look at the functions of a deacon what does a deacon do well there are many there aren't very many uh, clear um, there's not a very big there's not a list of things that this is what a deacon does but um, in a general a deacon is one who serves in practical matters it's one who serves in practical matters deacons at Calvary they help the poor the jobless, the sick, the widowed, the elderly, they also manage the finances. They distribute the money that is collected in the offering and they they look at the expenses that we have, the building, uh, looking at the needy that we have, the poor, the widows, and meeting those needs and also using those funds for evangelistic outreaches. Deacons serve in any capacity where there's a need in the church, any capacity where there's a need. A deacon can also be thought of as a load lifter, a load lifter. In Acts 6, deacons handled the money in the daily distribution, but it was really to help to, that they, so it was for the apostles, so they weren't burdened with doing all this extra work. And so they took off a big responsibility um, so that the apostles could do the work and the, this other group could also work on uh, the distribution, meeting the needs that were, um, that were prevalent at that time. And a low lifter will really help an elder in the church focus on uh, shepherding, focus on serving the saints in that way and teaching the word of God. So let's look at the first qualification, reverence. A deacon must be reverent. Other translations might say a man of dignity. This means that a deacon takes matters seriously. Their their men are worthy of respect. People can look up to them. When, you th- uh, when people think of them, they'll, they, they're reminded of their integrity and faithfulness. And what follows this qualification is three negatives. And a man who doesn't avoid these things can, this, these things can be damaging. Someone who doesn't, um, it says, not double tongues, not given too much wine, not greedy for many. That would damage your integrity and faithfulness and respectability among others. Overall, a de- deacon must be a man of integrity and self-control. I can't help but to think of uh, Eli, the sons of Eli in First Samuel, and the two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were men of who served the Lord as priests. They defiled the sacrifices. Um, they, defi- they defiled the sacrifices to satisfy their own needs, and they were worthless men, and they had no integrity. They were also using the position that they had in the tabernacle to sleep with other women that were coming in the doors. And they, um, they abused those who were vulnerable in the church or in the, in, in the, the time back then. Uh, and this is an example why a man, a, 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 an elder, sorry, a deacon, must be reverent. They must be a man of integrity. They're, they're entrusted with a lot of responsibility and they're dealing with people's lives and must be reverent. They must have a strong spiritual character. Next is not double tongues. What does it mean to be double tongues? Well, it's interesting, the, the visual idea that comes into your mind. If you could show the picture of having two tongues. That's basically what it means, is two tongues. And this idea is that a person says one thing out of one side of their mouth and then another thing out of the other side of their mouth. They're not consistent. Their stories aren't straight. They, they, they'll tell you one thing and say tell you a story, but then the story is, changes when I tell the next person. The, and it has an idea of deceitfulness. <clears throat> they aren't a man of their own word. They aren't a man of their word. If he promises to do something, he should do it. The Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. You should be faithful in the things that you tell people you're going to do <clears throat> so people can rely upon you, that you're faithful. And this can happen in the church in other ways, too. Um, Someone who lives their life differently. You could be two-faced. And they could, um, they could live completely different than the way they, they live in the church. And as soon as they step outside of those doors, they're a whole different person. So, for instance, you have a guy that comes in Sunday morning and praises God for, and, and worships God and, says, and sings about how great he is. And then the next day, he goes to work. And he talks to his coworkers and tells them dirty jokes and fil- uses filthy language all day long. He's double-tongued. He's not using, his words are not consistent with um, what he's doing. James talks about the tongue. He says, But no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does the spring send forth, Fresh water and bitter water from the same opening. Can a fig, bear, can a fig tree, bear, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. The next qualification is not given to wine, not given to much wine, which is similar to what we talked about uh, about for for elders. And, you know there, there are many warnings that are given in Scripture about alcohol, against alcohol. A deacon must not be addicted to wine. A man is unqualified to be a deacon if he's an alcoholic. First Thessalonians 4 says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. The life of all believers should be filled, should be Holy Spirit-filled, have a Holy Spirit-filled life, not a spirit's filled life. This doesn't mean prohibit a deacon from having wine. But it does prohibit from overindulgence. It's important to remember that deacons, along with elders, represent the church. Since deacons are involved in uh, many of the lives of people, it wouldn't be uh, uncommon for someone to to run into somebody who has a, who struggles with alcohol, who's an alcoholic, and their their simple example, their demonstration of drinking, of one drink might stumble that brother to to overindulge and to be drunk, which would be sin. And it's not saying that you can never drink alcohol, but it means that you don't need alcohol. It's not something that puts you to bed at night. That helps you wind down. It doesn't help you. It's not. Um, it doesn't mean that you need it. Alcohol doesn't control you. It doesn't enslave you. You see, someone who's addicted to wine is actually inward focused on my needs. Actually, any addict, any type of addiction, is inward focused. It's uh, anything from drugs to other substances. An addict is focusing on my desires. But as a servant of the Lord, is thoroughly focused on what other people need. When your life is consumed by faithful service towards others, you won't have time to focus on yourself. You won't have the time or need for alcohol. Not greedy for money. One of the first... Duties of the men and acts we talked about already was to handle the business, the daily distribution, and they would. um, So they're 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 handling all the money. Would you want to entrust someone who is greedy for money with handling the money of church? You wouldn't even want that person handling your own finances. These people, there are people who actually seek positions, in where there is money, where there is money involved. And they're greedy, and in, they're in it for the money. Um, Paul talks about false teachers who are uh, in it for their money. They, they, uh, their doctrine they're promoting is for their own selfish gain. And Paul warns about the danger of greed. And we'll read that again uh, later, in, but it's in uh, 1 Timothy 6. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men into prod- which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Men who are lovers of money will be controlled by money. In their pursuit for money, they'll be tempted to use dishonest gain. They'll be tempted to to lie and to cheat and to... um, uh, Did use any other type of manipulative methods to get what he wants? The, The love of money is so wicked that it will actually cause people to stray from the faith in their pursuits. It says, Jesus said in Matthew, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. Deacons are called to be servants of the Lord. Therefore, you can't love God and love money. If they do, you're going to have conflicting loyalties and in the end, you'll end up being a servant of the money if you have a love for money. The, uh, the famous philanthropist John D. Rockefeller uh, was, a, was a big um, businessman and he owned the company, the Standard Oil Company, and he, his business was so successful that he, his wealth soared so high that he was one of the richest men known at the time. His net worth was over a billion dollars at one point. And um, at the end of his life, his net worth was, in today's money, $336 billion, making him the richest man. At the peak of his career, John Rockefeller was asked, how much is enough? And his response was, one more dollar. And that's the heart of so many people who are greedy. They just want just a little more just a little more. If I only had a hundred more dollars, a thousand more dollars, twenty thousand more dollars, a hundred thousand, you look at, you're not going to be satisfied. It's a lie that many people believe, but even John Rockefeller, who had that much money, wanted one more dollar. We are commanded to be content. The word of God tells us to flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness. Deacons, <clears throat> by ministering to someone's financial need, they're actually showing love. Saints, by giving to the Lord, you're showing love as well, showing love to others. Someone who is greedy is, again, selfish and only thinking of themselves, about their needs. Someone who is greedy takes from others at others' expense for your own benefit. A servant gives to others at your own expense. You don't need to be a deacon to, be, to give to the poor. You can give to the poor and help the needy anytime. Anytime you recognize a need. Next, it says that <clears throat> in verse uh, 9, holy in the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. What does it mean to hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience? What is the mystery, mystery of the faith? When the Bible refers to a mystery, it doesn't mean. It's mysterious. Mystery is something that was previously unknown, something that was hidden, and now is revealed. It's a truth that was unknown to generations in the past, but now is revealed through the Holy, through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. What is the mystery? So what is the mystery of the faith? The, the subject here is the mystery is of, of, of faith. So what is that? what does that uh, entail? What does that mean? Um, the hidden truth about the faith refers to Doctrine refers to Christian doctrine, the New Testament truths that we have here. um, And that's been revealed through the Holy Spirit to the apostles and the prophets. So what does it mean for a deacon to to hold the mystery of the faith? It means they must be sound in doctrine. They must know the the faith. They must know what the Christian faith believes. And they must hold to it with a pure conscience so that that their conscience doesn't condemn them they aren't doing something that is contrary to what the Word of God says. They are, they are following it. They, their doctrine, they are sound doctrine, and they, were, they are living their lives um, holy and blameless practically. That means practically that a deacon isn't an alcoholic, isn't greedy for money, doesn't divorce his wife, uh, has a heart for others, isn't sexually immoral. All those things that the Word of God teaches Then it says in verse 10, it says, but let these also, be fir- also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. So we've just looked at five qualifications for a deacon. And it's essential for them to be tested. This is a great way to see if a prospective deacon would be qualified for the position, be ready for the office. And this is not a written test. It's not a verbal test. It's a, a test of their character. It's a test of their, their lives and to see um, if their lives match up to a desire to serve and a willingness to serve others, do they have a servant's heart? It's important to also note in the, verse, uh, in the beginning of verse 10, it says, but let these, referring to deacons, also first be tested. They also refers to the passage before it. Elders must also be tested. It's important for both to be tested before we allow a, uh, an elder to be a shepherd of the church of God. It's a good principle that Jesus gives us. He says, He who's faithful in what is least, is faithful also in much. One way to observe and test a deacon is to see how he's doing with the service he has now. How does he perform a simple task, a simple duty, something not a big thing? Is he faithful in that? Is he um, d- devoted? Does he, put it, does, he work, does he serve with all his heart to the Lord when he does it? And then if they are found faithful, give them a little bit more, a little bit more. To see if they will handle the responsibility, because you don't want to put somebody in responsibility in a bigger capacity when they can't even be faithful in something so something so small. You know, let's say that let's say that you at your current job and a new position opens up, and uh, this job would involve um, more responsibility and it would also be a, a big promotion for you. So um, you decide to go talk to your boss and say, "Hey, I'd really like to. You know, I see this open position. I'd really like to apply to it." And then your boss says, well, you know, I've been looking. We've actually been um, watching, watching you for the last two months. And um, honestly, you haven't been faithful in your job. You've been coming in, into work late. Uh, you don't meet deadlines as they're supposed to come in. And you just, uh, you're not responsible in the, the duties that we've given you already. And you, you might think, well, if I only had the position, then I would be faithful. I mean, if I had more responsibility and more money, then I would do the work. But that's not the case. If you're faithful in the small things, you'll also be faithful in the big things. Some people you know, desire, are, are looking just for the position, for the, the prominence or the, the place to be seen and recognized. But that isn't the place for, this position isn't for you if that's the case. Because a deacon, remember, is a servant. It's a humble job. It's not a glorified position. You know some people might say, well, if I, if I was just serving the Lord in some awesome, great capacity, you know then I'd really pour my heart out to it, then I'd really be involved in you know serving the Lord, and you know I see this one person he's doing that I'd like to be like him. Well, if you want to do that, you start first by being the least. Start with humble, lowly service, doing something simple, and be faithful at that. Sometimes we get the notion that Deacons are the elders, and the elders are the only ones that do the work here, and we're just kind of sitting back and spectating. We just, we just watch. But that's not the case. We're not observing. We're all called to be servants. How are you serving the Lord today? Are you known as a servant? Do you know the needs of the church, the people? Do you know the needs of the city of Fremont, of your neighborhood, where can you serve the Lord today? Who can you serve the Lord? Who can you serve today? And let's look at the, the perfect example of servanthood is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at, first, uh, let's look at Philippians 2. Philippians 2. It says in verse, um, I believe it's verse 2 or 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition, or conceit. Now these now these uh, before I go on to that the um, the church of Philippians also had a self-word inward focus on themselves. They were they were they weren't thinking of others, they were thinking of themselves. And this is why Paul writes to them. He says, "Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. What Paul is saying here is that we need to get the focus off of ourselves. Get it off of ourselves, stop thinking about my own needs, what I want, the desires I have, but have a heart for others. Have a heart for other people. Not only thinking about others, but viewing others better than yourself. That's hard to do. View somebody better than yourself. And here's how Christ demonstrated that. It goes on to say, Here is a great example. Jesus gave us a great example of someone to follow. Realize that Jesus is God. Jesus is God manifested in the flesh and Jesus left the position from heaven, the glory, the the position that he had in heaven to come to this earth. And he took on human flesh. Not only did he take a lower position by leaving and taking on the, the form of a human being but it says he took on the form of a bond servant not even did he even though even among men i'm sorry it says not only not only did he take a lower position from heaven but he didn't come in like you would expect he didn't come in as the king as the as the ruler or as the uh, big authoritarian man he came as a humble servant His servant's attitude was focused on others. His service was sacrificial because it cost him his life. And we sit here today and we, we reflect on how Jesus served us. We should truly be in awe. He saw our greatest need. He saw us as sinners. And he took it upon himself to stoop down and to serve us so that we could have eternal life. Jesus was mocked. He was beaten, spat upon, whipped, nailed to the cross for our sins, for your sins and my sins. He saw a world in need of a Savior. So he laid aside the glory of heaven and he came down to humbly go to the cross and to die for your sin and for my sin. And on that cross, Jesus suffered and bled and died. And on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Believers, in light of the mind that Christ had, in the light of the mind that his humble, the humble servant attitude that Christ had. Is there any service that the Lord Jesus Christ can ask you to do that is beneath you? Something that's too menial for you to do, too unimportant, that job just doesn't get recognized, doesn't get enough attention. I don't get thanked enough for that job. In the light of what Jesus has done, it should be a privilege to do anything for the Lord. And I want to tell you, ask you, those of you who do not, know the, do not know the Lord this morning, if you do not know Him, I invite you to place your trust in Him. Place your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus not, did, did not come to this earth to be served by others, but He came to serve us. Think of it that like God came to serve us we think that we, we should be serving him of all people but he came to serve us and he died on the cross for your sins and he paid the penalty for sin on that cross put your trust in jesus christ today repent of your sins and believe in him believe on the lord jesus christ and you will be saved and you will have eternal life let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the, the amazing example that you gave us, Lord, a humble servant willing to die for our sins. And Lord, we want to, look, we want to learn by your example and to, to not forget these things but to do them. Lord, to look and reflect in our own lives of how we can better serve others, get the, get the focus off of ourselves and serve you and serve others, Lord, Lord. We pray for you to give us a a humble servant's heart, that we would learn to be the servant of all. Lord, we we pray for um, humility in this, Lord, and that we would also have a love for others. Lord, we pray for anybody here today that doesn't know you, that you would open their eyes to the gospel and see, Lord, how you've served them and died on the cross for them. Lord, and that they would place their trust in you today. In Jesus' name, amen.